My goal with this podcast is to give people a greater understanding of the Herculean effort that goes into putting a production like the ones at Lyric Opera Chicago on, and other theaters around the country for that matter. If there had been an invaluable resource like this when I was growing up, I'd be an archaeologist or a marine biologist instead of a podcaster and writer. You're welcome, kids. You don't know how easy you have it. Michael Smallwood serves as the technical director for Lyric Opera of Chicago, and like many of the people featured in this series, he got started in theater at a young age, even though opera came later. One of my favorite stories to go to is I, my fifth grade teacher. Uh, she was, you know, English teacher, but in fifth and sixth grade, you always had to do, we did plays in fifth and sixth grade. Um, so all the fifth graders did the same play. And then in the sixth grade, you got to, as a class, you got to vote on which play you did out of a few options. Um, so uh, I didn't want to be on stage because I was a shy, quiet kid. Um, and she, I, she then said, okay, you're gonna, you can run the curtain. You can run the, the tape deck sound cue that we had back there. Um, and then usually if you ran, if you weren't in the show in fifth grade, they made you as far, you know, go out there and learn to do something, made you be on stage in, in sixth grade as well. She didn't make me do that. So I think from there on, I was, I was like, I'm going to be backstage my whole life. This is going to work. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, from there just did the talent shows, did everything for the next couple of years. I was super fortunate enough to go to a high school that had a, a very good theater program, dance program, um, uh, where we did several sort of main, what I call big mainstay shows uh, a year, uh, a musical every year, a couple of like studio black box shows even too. Um, so in high school, we worked with uh, professional uh, technical production people, as well as some professional directors and stage managers that were brought in and uh, one of them ran the department too. So it was just a lot of connections with people. Um, so uh, just kept that interest going. Um, I still was thinking to be a lawyer slash judge is sort of my goal until I went to school, until I went to college. You knew there was going to be elaborate costumes one way or the other. So, you know, yeah, judge yeah exactly. Or... Yeah. Um, you know, and I finally made a decision, you know, like, there was one of the technical people in high school said, hey, if, if you, you've tried this for a while, you can always do something different down the line. You know, you can try it for a couple of years. Um, she, he, he, and he was very, he was like, generally in my experience, like people stick with it and try it till they're like 26, 27, 28. And then they've either, they're either tired and had it with, with what theater and what production is or, or they, uh, and they find a different job or they stick with it and they'll probably be in it for the rest of their lives then. Um, I, you know, I was able to, once I moved up to Chicago for, for school, I went to Loyola, um, political science, again, still going to be a judge, still going to be a lawyer. Um, but, uh, I started working immediately in the theater community. And that's one of the reasons I actually chose Loyola. Um, I went to a Jesuit high school, but like I was able to go, um, uh, there was a couple other programs in Chicago I looked at and they had, um, a lot of restrictions on what you could do outside of school, um, while being in the program while being in the theater department. So I went to Loyola, which didn't really have any, um, and started working freelance around town. Um, essentially my, by my like middle of my first semester, uh, um, of my freshman year. So I was able to work at, uh, overhire Goodman Shakespeare. Uh, I met at Loyola and through those, those jobs, I was, uh, working, uh, I met some designers, started freelance designing, uh, mostly lights, a little bit of sets, um, 
And then people f quickly figured out that I could build things uh, pretty well. So they, they started asking me to be a TD and I was a freelance TD around the, the city for uh, uh, almost 10 years. So, um, and then uh, out of school, I landed the assistant, technical assistant job here and then have moved up through Lyric and to where I am now. <laughs> I'm Keith Conrad, and this is Bringing Up the Lights, a podcast where I'll be giving you a look behind the curtain at the people involved in creating some of the biggest stage productions in the United States. This season, I'll be following along with the Lyric Opera of Chicago as they prepared their production of Verdi's opera Macbeth in September of 2021. So far in this podcast, we've learned how Lyric Opera decides in a particular production, how they go about the casting process, and how the production makes music with both the chorus and the orchestra. Now they need some sets for the actors to interact with and help create the world of Macbeth. I talked to Michael Smallwood at the beginning of August in 2021, about six weeks before the opening of Macbeth. At that point, the Delta variant was just starting to pop up, but people were still mostly going back to normal life. Of course, COVID had already had a big impact on Michael's life. I had to cancel my wedding, actually, too, last year. And for me, a wedding sort of like the same thing as a production. So, right. like, you know what I mean? There's a whole, it's, it's a process there, too. So. We learned earlier in the podcast from Anthony Freud that productions at Lyric Opera of Chicago are years in the making. So when does Michael come into the production process? Yeah, so it really depends on the production. So there's kind of three main types of productions. There's rentals, which is, uh, we just rent a, a show kind of as is from another company co-production slash new shows where where we uh commission a new show to be made either uh usually a new version of an existing opera but and every once in a while a new commission and then uh there's revivals so which is the shows we own uh we own about 54 shows right now in, in storage here in chicago so the new productions or co-productions really start Three, yeah, three to four years out. If there's a lot of co-producers, it could even be five years. We could be five years down the line of who gets the show in in order. Um, there's a show we're part of that we canceled last year, uh, Lessons in Love and Violence. I think it has nine co-producers. Um, wow. So we were we were like fifth in line, but it's been it's still traveling and still going. So it's usually about three years. I would say for the new productions that were involved, once artistic, once Anthony sort of has the director and the concept that they've talked about um, and decided, then the director gets his 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 design team in place, the the costume designer, set designer, lighting designer, video designer, if you need them, and that's sort of once that team's formed, that's where my department gets involved and we start talking to them about logistics, timelines, um, budget, all of that, all the all the nuts and bolts of making the production happen. Usually about 18 months out from the from the show, 18 to 20 maybe, depending on where it is in the season. That's when we really start to get physical models and, and sketches and renderings and everything from the design team to start to budget them. Mm -hmm. And then um, hopefully nine months to 12 months out, that's when we're starting to put contracts in place to have all that stuff actually constructed and made. Costumes usually a little later. We always aim for about we we aim for about ten to twelve months for scenery, but not. It's usually more like eight or nine. So so we're awarding that those contracts in usually again hopefully November. It's usually more like December January in order for it to arrive in Chicago 
for our summer tech periods, which are happening now, August and September. There are a lot of moving parts associated with Macbeth in any production, even before throwing COVID into the mix. But that's not all Lyric Opera has going on. Macbeth ran from September 17th to October 9th, so it wrapped up as we reached the halfway point of this series. Macbeth was the big comeback, so it was the production I decided to follow for this first season of the podcast. But at the time, Lyric also had the elixir of love on stage. How many productions is Michael actually working on at once? <laughs> um, uh, any given number of shows? Uh, I think I've worked on 17 different shows in a day, That's uh, in some capacity. Um, <laughs> um, but heavily, I would say we're working on probably four to five shows. It, it, you're touching a lot of shows in a day, you know, a lot. Um, and then once, sort of once we get into rehearsals, that sort of does get it more into three or four, for depending on who you are on my team and what I'm, what I'm working on, depending on... on the season planning cycle and the budgeting cycle and things like that. So, um, like just today, we just did a review for twenty four and twenty five. Um, so, uh, so I we I was re looking, re educating myself about those shows. A lot of them sort of went out of my mind during COVID because mm-hmm. um, we had so many uh, virtual and other productions that came into my head. So, um, so I had to remind myself about some of those shows and some logistics around them and like how many containers they are where like i know where they're coming from but um and just what needs to be done for them and where we are in the plant process for any of those so in addition to the whole covid thing what were the production challenges associated with macbeth macbeth uh they they there was a lot of construction delays in macbeth um covid related or just mostly covid related they're um most of our sh- not most but i would say 60 percent of our shows are probably built in cardiff wales in the uk and they've had a lot of supply chain issues there. Mm-hmm. So actual, just like plywood skyrocketed here in the UK, it's skyrocketed and there's a shortage. There was a time when they called to get their regular screws. They couldn't even get their, the regular screws they used to put the set together. Um, and so that, when people are watching Macbeth, they may be looking at like cardboard instead of wood at this point. Not quite. But, um, <laughs> so Macbeth, we, you know, they did, uh, it did, it did get finished uh, basically on time with some, with some, extra help and some leaps and bounds. And that was all based on like, they couldn't even hire extra people to help because they didn't, you can't put more, you can't put extra people in, into the shop uh, because of COVID spacing regulations. Um, So um, that it did get shipped, shipped basically on time. Uh, It just arrived in the United States last week. Um, It's now, it, it arrived in Chicago yesterday. Uh, in containers, uh, seven containers, seven containers. Um, so the first week in August for, yeah. Yeah. For, for a, a show that's in mid September. Yes. Uh, but also we are doing a show. We're tacking a show next week or the week, the following week that is for March. Right. So just, yeah, it just depends. Um, usually in the summer, we, the, the summer tech period, we try to tech any show we haven't teched. So or we haven't seen before. Um, so any rentals that we haven't done before and any new shows. Um, obviously the new shows have to have tech. Uh, rentals usually have to have tech depending on how complicated they are. But uh, if it's a revival, we might be able to get away without teching that. If we've done it in the last 
five to seven years. Because that's sort of when our lighting big package upgrades kind of happen. Um, so if we did, we do have shows that have been sitting at the warehouse, though, for 10, 15, 20 years, though, that we haven't done. Um, so if we bring one of those back, we'll need to tag it because it's been sitting there for 20 years. We want to make sure it looks good. Nothing's missing. <laughs> Nothing's falling apart in the containers. Um, we're pretty lucky about that in Chicago, luckily. Um, Is it like the uh, the last scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where it's just this giant warehouse? Full it of- used to be. Uh, in two, and then in 2003, 2004, we moved to container storage. Oh, so okay. all the shows are in containers with their props and the scenery. Costumes are kept in boxes, climate controlled on a, in a warehouse on that property. With top men watching them. With yeah, we um, we've only been it's been broken into a couple of times, but um, <laughs> luckily nothing stolen. Because you open a container and <laughs> you open the back container and it's pieces of wood and metal and steel. It's not iPads. Yeah, like like that's what people break into containers for. At the beginning of August, they had reached the point where the sets arrived on set. So what's the next step? Just unfolding a giant set of IKEA instructions and grabbing an Allen wrench. Yeah, Macbeth. Arrived in the arrived in Chicago now, um, which is great. So then this week we'll put it all together. The rest of this week we'll assemble it in in at. It's the first time um, most places can't build any of our scenery because it's too tall, standing upright. So most places build our scenery on its back or on its face, and it never actually gets stood up until it's in this building. Um, if it's something super crazy or complicated that needs to stand up and f- like there's special function in it. We might have that company that's building it rent a space where they can stand it up. But most of the time, it's like I said, it's built back, face face up, back down. Um, and then here is the first time it's ever stood up. So that's an interesting thing to do. I recorded this interview in August for a podcast episode I was planning to release at the beginning of October. So the fact that the sets had never actually seen the light of day before just absolutely terrifies me as a producer. Have there been any problems with sets in the past? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of things. Um, you'll have, uh, you know, uh, they didn't calculate all the weight. There was a bunch, there was a set with all um, frow. Um, uh, it was this big half surround um, wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing flew, it covered like the stage. It was like it was a huge wall. Um, flew up and down during the whole show. But within the wall, there was all these garage doors. Um, and uh, to help the budget, we took the automation out of the garage doors and instead made it counterbalanced with weight. Mm-hmm. The The shop didn't give us the correct calculations for the weight of the wall. So all the extra weight that was needed to put into the wall to counterbalance all the doors wasn't accounted for. So the wall ended up being two thirds heavier than it was supposed to be, which was a problem because then we had to add double the amount of motors and double the amount of automation and stuff to lift it. Um, still to this day, one of the scariest things I've ever seen move on our stage, <laughs> but it was, it, it worked out in the end, which is great. It was also tilted. So we were all like, when we lifted it the first time, we thought it was gonna swing substantially mm-hmm. the one way and it didn't, that was good. So we did that very carefully and slowly. Now that the sets have actually arrived, what problems could pop up at this point in the process? Macbeth, hopefully there's no problems. There certainly will be. There'll be little, at least little stuff. Um, and again, that's sort of why we do the summer text, to get a whole list of notes uh, from a design perspective, from a director's perspective about maybe how things function. Maybe they need an extra door that they didn't think about, you know, in their planning for the show. Um, 
maybe some of the colors aren't quite right um uh and we need to paint into stuff or distress stuff further um there's all those little things from a design and, and artistic standpoint that we make happen um and then there are just function things like sometimes things just don't quite align because it was never fully put together so we have to figure out a solution how about sometimes it's easy sometimes it's hard Thanks to COVID, we've all gotten used to doing things remotely, but Lyric had to do everything remotely, including set design. Set designer John McFarlane is based in the UK, and traveling internationally is a challenge, to say the least. So it was all done long distance this time around. What was that experience like? John McFarlane is uh, a a tremendous uh, designer, um, just world-renowned and one of my favorite people to work with. Um, The images he produces and the the show and the, the looks to the shows he puts together just fantastic the um the result i don't know if you happen to see that or um or the um hansel and gretel that we do is those are john mcfarland's and um they're they're just amazing productions they're well thought out i guess the only i mean it's a pretty standard it's kind of a standard show like walls backdrops the one thing that's kind of been complicated is just we haven't been able to see it um, the shops have been a little delayed, so we haven't gotten as many pictures as we were hoping. And, you know, some of that Zoom communications and Zoom tours of the shop and here's the pieces being made. Like a lot of that we go check in on um, a couple a couple times during the process. So we haven't been able to do that as thoroughly. And also, John, um, given the travel restrictions, even within the UK, John's based in the UK, um, which is one of the reasons we also built the show over there so that he could have a chance to see it. They've even had internal travel restrictions that he hasn't been able to visit as much as he can. And he, John also likes to paint into the sets and paint in the, he helps paint some of the drops as well, some of the backdrops. And he hasn't been able to, he did some of it, but he wasn't able to do as much as he was hoping. So just more of a sort of, I would say, minor logistical issues than big, big challenges. So after all this, what is it like when you actually assemble the sets for the first time? It's always one of my favorite moments is because... We, when we get, um, especially with European designers, you mostly get model design only. You don't get a lot of drawings. You get some sketches every once in a while, for especially for props or puppets or stuff like that. But mostly European designers work in their models. So they just give you the model to work off of. Um, and then we take that and translate it into drawings and also then send that to the shop to work off of. So it's always my one of my favorite moments of any process is when that model you know, this little cardboard thing you're looking at mm-hmm. that's uh, one to 25 scale. And you then you see that, you know, you get to see it on stage and it, and it looks like it, you know, it looks, I'm, you know, always proud of that. We're at, we, uh, we've executed what the designer hoped for. And that's always a great moment. Um, I think we'll have that moment with Macbeth still. Um, and I think it, it, will, it will work out. We're, we are having problems getting John into the country. So that's a, we're mm-hmm. setting up webcams and, zoom communications and microphones to be so the whole um so part of the team is uk based part of it's us based um so uh luckily the one other person from the uk has been able to get in the us team obviously can travel here internally um so we're trying to set up so that just in case if he can't get here he can still be part of the 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 creative tech process next week um so that starts on monday and um it will be a challenge. That's a, that's a nothing looks the same on camera. Nothing looks quite right. Um, he can't go and explore the set and see the little things that need to change and update. So we're gonna try to do our best and keep him in the loop and and do what we can. And it's hard. 
and now that the sets are done and people are actually going to be seeing Macbeth, what does Michael hope people will see when they look at the sets on Macbeth or any production? Opening night of Macbeth is going to be different than any opening night, given what we've been through for the last uh, 18, 20 months. Um, I think it will be uh, a, I think it will be a very emotional experience for most of us. Um, I think, it, you know, for Lyric people, it will be the first thing we've opened in a long, long time. Um, it for I think for some of the designers and I don't know about David but the director um, but I think it will be a big opening for them as well an opening night of the of an opera company of Lyric you know Chicago US premier opera company um, I think that hopefully will signal that we are we're moving forward and and moving to better times again when we can all go see shows whatever type of show that is um but I hope it uh I hope it I think it will be definitely emotional for most of us so um I think it being a Macbeth I I personally love the show Macbeth I love the I like the opera um so for me personally I think uh seeing a Macbeth designed by John David McVicker production um I think it'll be just a, a an awesome achievement to, to see on our stage um I would say probably several of my top favorite, favorite shows here that I've ever done have been David McVicker or John McFarlane Productions. So um, I always like their work. So I think one or two of them might be. One's behind you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Electra. So, yeah. So it'll be, I, I think it'll be one of my favorite productions probably. It'll at least be top five mm-hmm. probably by the time we're done. So maybe top two or three. So far in this podcast, we've learned how Lyric decides on a production, how they go about the casting process, how the productions make music with the chorus and the orchestra, and how the sets come together. Now we need actual actors to show up for rehearsals and eventually performances. That's where Ben Bell Byrne and the rehearsal department come into the story in Episode 7. Well, it's the, the name of the department is a slight misnomer. I mean, it should be called probably like company management or something that but it's called mm-hmm. rehearsal in the opera world rehearsal department means scheduling because there's a lot of people to schedule but also yeah. it's a lot of like customer service for the artists so people coming in from bergamo and russia then you want to make sure that there's people right there to hold their hand through all the processes of getting visas and social security mm-hmm. numbers and booking restaurants and getting babysitters that's all through the rehearsal department so, so actually, like if you think about it, like a sports team, it's you're, you're sort of the uh, the assistant traveling secretary, like George Costanza was for the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I I never thought of it in those terms. Um, it's sort of like the frontline admin office. It's 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 the administrative office that's sort of most closely um, attached to the the room and to the stage in that mm-hmm. regard, because also because of our physical proximity. The rehearsal department is the first thing inside of the stage door and it steps away from the stage entrance and it steps away from the principal dressing room. So we are logically situated to be the first administrators to um, address anything that comes up for backstage needs. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what the department is for. It's We have a very short list of things that we as a department are responsible for just for us and a very, very long list of things that we um, are responsible for as they pertain to other departments. So even for this interview, for example, to do this interview, I had to figure out a time to schedule this interview. 
for example, yeah. for any of these interviews for that matter. So there's a lot of um, going from one department to the other with anything that is sort of talent facing. Bringing Up the Lights is an original series from Sound Concept Media. It's written and narrated by me, Keith Conrad, with original music from John Benedict, along with the Lyric Opera of Chicago's 2010 production of Macbeth. Along the way, I had plenty of help from the team at Lyric Opera of Chicago and Elizabeth Newkirk with the Silverman Group. 